0: Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. It's a powerful two-day stock rebound, cemented a positive week for investors as a new trading month began. Today is... October 10th, 2022, and we're just going to recap last week all the way up until basically this week. So, the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 1.99%, while the s and 500 added 1.51% for the week. The Nasdaq Composite Index increased 0.73% for the week. The MSCI Efa Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, gained 3.42%. So what does this mean? Uh, The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed last week at 29,296. That's down 19.38% for the year. The NASDAQ closed at 10,652, which is down 31.91% for the year. MSCI EFA index closed at 1,718, which is down 26.44%. And the S&P 500 closed at 3,639 and change, which is down 23.64% for the year. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 3.89%. For the week, that's up six basis points. And uh, for the year, it's up 2.37%. Um stocks start strongly. Um they did uh start strongly to the month. So let's uh let's check this out. Stocks open the week posting their best two-day rally since March 2020 as the UK prime minister's decision to reverse a tax cut proposal had upended financial markets the previous week. It did lift investors. Falling yields Further lifted investor enthusiasm, as did new economic data indicating a cooling economy. Losses in the last two days erased much of the gains as concerns about higher rates and recession once again moved front and center. The selling pressure was due to a stream of hawkish comments by Fed officials and labor market data that suggested the Fed would likely stick to their rate hike plans. It's a mixed labor picture. So employment-related reports offered conflicting signals on the state of the labor market. In a sign of cooling, the number of open jobs in August fell 10%, while a subsequent report from the Automated Data Processing, or ADP, report showed continued labor market strength. The ADP report, uh, private employers added a higher than expected 208,000 jobs in September and annual rate wages rose 7.8% from a year ago. Jobless claims rose to 219,000 up from the previous weeks, 190,000 and in line with 2019's average. September's employment report showed that employers added 263,000 jobs, slightly lower than expectations. The combination of new hiring and Lower labor force participation led to a drop in the unemployment rate to 3.5%. This week, key economic data. Wednesday, producer price index in the FOMC committee meeting notes. uh, Thursday, consumer price index, uh, jobless claims, and then Friday, retail sales. This week, companies reporting earnings: Wednesday, Delta Airlines, PepsiCo; Thursday, Wells Fargo, Walgreens, and BlackRock; Friday, J.P. Morgan Chase, United Health Group, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, PNC, and U.S. Bank Corp. So, earnings really does get kicked off with the banks every quarter. So, stay tuned for that this week. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of uh, analysts' revisions downward in earnings. So that should impact markets, not in a positive way. Essential tax reminders for people selling a home. So if you're selling a home, you may be able to exclude all or part of any gain from the sale when filing your tax return. To see if you're eligible for this benefit, you have to consider number one, the home's ownership and use. Over five years, ending on the date of the sale, the homeowner must have owned the house and lived in it as their main home for at least two years. Number two, any gains. Taxpayers who sell their primary home and gain from the sale may be able to exclude up to $250,000 of that gain from their income. The the exclusion increases to 500,000 for a married couple filing jointly. Number three, mortgage debt. Generally, if your mortgage debt was forgiven or canceled, such as in the case of a foreclosure, you have to report this forgiven debt as income on your tax return. And again, as a reminder, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. And this tip was adapted from the irs.gov website. Hey, this is Brent Foster with our weekly technical analysis spotlight or on wealth management. Hey, just wanna highlight the VIX The VIX is trading today and um, over the last couple of days, it's really gone up to fairly high levels, but not levels that mark a bottom. So what we try to do is follow the VIX in a bear market and see um, where it's trading. So a VIX above 40 would probably mark a bottom, but we're we're not there yet. We keep testing it, but we're not breaking out to it. Right now we're trading at a like 33.99 on the VIX. We feel like, uh, even though there is higher volatility, that's a certain certainty, the facts are there. We've, we've had a high level of 1% moves in the S&P 500 um, this year than we have in any other previous year. Um, it's so, uh, since 2007. So um, it's something to take note. Um, volatility is here and it's here to stay but we're not getting a breakout of the the VIX as of yet to mark a bottom. So that implies that we have further downside to go. Um, and it, that kind of lines up with our, our bear case and um, a testing of maybe support levels that are further down from this level that we're trading at now, which the S&P today is trading at, oh, let me see, let me pull it up. 3588 as of about two o'clock on Wednesday. So uh, that's down from just in September being around 42 to 4,300 on the S&P. We may have a little bit further downside to go. Uh, Confluence levels are 32, 3300, 3500. And so we're looking at the Fibonacci retracements there two of the last bull market move. And it all kind of makes sense and lines up, especially with what the Fed is uh, signaling to uh, the markets as to what they're gonna do with interest rates. Looks like there might still be 150 basis points of raise over the next uh, several meetings. We'll see what they end up doing here soon, but they're pretty much uh, trying to tackle inflation head on and get get, uh, our economy to slow down after uh, a long, long time of low interest rates. Um, and it's caused our economy to overheat. And then we've got a war in Russia and Ukraine that's escalating. And uh, there's a lot going on from a fundamental perspective, geopolitical perspective. And uh, that's gonna be reflected obviously in the technicals and um, markets are discounting mechanism and they look about you know six to nine to 12 months ahead of time. So looking back at the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic hit, so the end of 2019, the S&P was trading at 3400. It traded down all the way to 29, the upper 29 hundreds in the bottom of March, about three months later. So um, we're, we're at 3588, 3587. And so we've had quite a bit of a retracement Um, so the last peak before the pandemic was around 3,400. So, um, we'll be continuing to track where the S and P trades as it is representative of the largest 500 companies in the United States. So what is the VIX? This was written by James Chen updated on September 8th reviewed by Thomas Catalano and fact-checked by Suzanne Quilhog, The CBOE options exchange calculates a real-time index to show the expected level of price fluctuation in the S&P 500 index options over the next 12 months. It's officially called the CBOE volatility index and listed under the ticker symbol VIX. Investors and analysts sometimes refer to it by its unofficial nickname, the fear index. Technically speaking, The VIX does not measure the same kind of volatility as most other indicators. Volatility is a level of price fluctuations that can be observed by looking at past data. Instead, the VIX looks at expectations of future volatility, also known as implied volatility. Times of greater uncertainty, more expected future volatility results in higher VIX values, while less anxious times corresponds with lower values. The initial VIX was released by the CBOE Global Markets in 1993. And at that time, the index only took into consideration the implied volatility of eight separate S&P 100 put and call options. After 2002, CBOE decided to expand the VIX to the S&P 500 to better capture the market sentiment. VIX futures were added in 2004 and VIX options followed in 2006. So how the VIX works and how it is used. VIX values are quoted in percentage points and are supposed to predict the stock price movement in the S&P 500 over the following 30 days. This value is then annualized to cover the upcoming 12-month period. The VIX formula is calculated as the square root of the par variance swap rate over those first 30 days, also known as the risk-neutral expectation. This formula was developed by Vanderbilt University professor Robert Whaley in 1993. Investors, analysts, and portfolio managers look to the CBOE volatility index as a way to measure market stress before they make decisions. When VIX returns are higher, market participants are likely to pursue investment strategies with lower risk. According to Lizanne Saunders, Managing Director and Chief Investment Strategist of Charles Schwab, the VIX forces us to do what we know we're supposed to do as investors, which is add low trim high, a version of buy low or sell high. And often when left to our own devices, we don't do that. We let the winners run, they become an outsized portion of the portfolio. And then the inevitable reversion to the mean happens when you're holding a much heavier bag than you otherwise would have. It's simple. It's really simple, basic stuff, but it's so important to hammer home, especially when you have all these rotations which frankly give you more opportunity to use the volatility to your advantage via the process of rebalancing. So get help with your financial journey. Market volatility and inflation can be a cause for anxiety, but financial advice can help you make the path to financial security easier. So give us a call at Northbound Wealth Management. We'll be happy to walk you through navigating the financial markets and your investment strategy. So what is a bear market This piece is from Investopedia. A bear market is when a market experiences prolonged price declines. It typically describes a condition in which security prices fall 20% or more from recent highs amid widespread pessimism and negative investor sentiment. Bear markets are often associated with declines in an overall market or index like the S&P 500. But individual securities or commodities can also be considered to be in a bear market if they experience a decline of 20% or more over a sustained period of time, typically two months or more. Bear markets also may accompany general economic downturns such as a recession. Bear markets may be contrasted with upward trending bull markets. Key takeaways of bear markets. They occur when prices fall or markets decline by more than 20% often accompanied by negative investor sentiment and declining economic prospects. Bear markets can be cyclical or longer term. The former lasts several weeks or a couple of months and the latter can last several years or even decades. Short selling, put options and inverse ETFs are some of the ways in which investors can make money during a bear market as prices fall, albeit work with a financial professional if you're gonna employ those strategies. Let's see, understanding bear markets, stock prices generally reflect future expectations of cash flows and profits from companies. So if the S&P 500 earnings and profits of companies are declining, then the future expectations, which reflects future stock prices, are going to likely decline. It doesn't mean you can't have a rally inside of a bear market. It's called a bear market rally and you can get those rip your face off rallies that um, end up sucking people in thinking that the bear market's over and it's not. It's just a rally or short covering inside of a bear market. And uh, the, the, the longer term trend hasn't been broken. So be cautious as you're investing in a bear market. As growth prospects wane and expectations are dashed, prices of stocks can decline. Herd behavior like fear, so following the herd, and a rush to protect downside losses can lead to prolonged periods of depressed asset prices. One definition of a bear market says that markets are in bear territory when stocks on average fall at least 20% off their high, but 20% is an arbitrary number, just as a 10% decline is an arbitrary benchmark for a correction. Another definition of a bear market is when investors are more risk-averse than risk-seeking. This kind of bear market can last for six months, or years as investors shun speculation in favor of boring sure bets, i.e. short-term treasury bills, like a three-month, six-month, one-year, two-year, they're all paying uh, upwards of 3.8% to 4.4% as of today, when I checked on Schwab's uh, trading platform. The causes of a bear market can vary, but in general, a weak or slowing sluggish economy, bursting market bubbles, pandemics, wars, geopolitical crises, and drastic paradigm shifts in the economy such as shifting to online uh, economy or wars like in uh, russia ukraine like what's going on now or china looking at taking over taiwan to capture taiwan semiconductor are all factors that might cause a bear market or high inflation for example is another potential cause uh which can slow consumer demand and consumer spending and, and we're The U.S. is definitely a consumer-driven economy. The signs of a weak or slowing economy are typically low employment, low disposable income, weak productivity, and a drop in business profits. So you're kind of starting to see all those boxes get checked. In addition, any intervention by the government in the economy can also trigger a bear market. Wow. Yeah, we're kind of seeing that. For example, changes in the tax rate or the federal funds rate can lead to a bear market. Similarly, a drop in investor confidence may also signal the onset of a bear market. Yep, that's what we're in. When investors believe something is about to happen, they will take action. In this case, selling off shares to avoid losses. Bear markets can last for multiple years or just several weeks. A secular bear market can last anywhere from 10 to 20 years and is characterized by below average returns on a sustained basis. There may be rallies within secular bear markets where stocks or indexes rally for a period, but the gains are not sustained and the prices revert to lower levels. Hmm, I just said that. A cyclical bear market, on the other hand, can last anywhere from a few weeks to several months. The US major market indexes were close to a bear market territory on December 24, 2018. If you guys just remember that. Falling just shy of a 20% drawdown. More recently, major indexes, including the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, fell sharply into bear market territory between March 11th and March 12th, 2020, because of the pandemic, right? Prior to that, the last prolonged bear market in the United States occurred between 2007 and 2009 during the great financial crisis and lasted roughly 17 months. The S&P 500 lost 50% of its value during that time. In February 2020, global stocks entered a sudden bear market in the wake of the global coronavirus pandemic, sending the Dow down 38% from its all-time high on February 12, um, 2020, which was 29,568 and change to a low on March 23rd of 18,213, Um, and change in just over one month. However, both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 made new highs by August of 2020. That was the, I think the quickest bear market we've ever had. So the phases of a bear market, bear markets typically have four different phases. The first phase is characterized by high prices and high investor sentiment. Towards the end of this phase, investors begin to drop out of the markets and take in profits. In the second phase, stock prices begin to fall sharply, trading activity and corporate profits begin to drop, and economic indicators that may have been once positive start to become below average. Some investors begin to panic as sentiment starts to fall. The third phase shows speculators start to enter the market, consequently raising some prices and trading volume. In the fourth and last phase, stock prices continue to drop, but slowly as low prices and good news starts to attract investors again bear markets start to lead to bull markets in this phase so the bear market phenomenon is thought to get its name from the way in which a bear attacks its prey swiping its paws downward this is why the markets with falling stock prices are called bear markets just like the bear market the bull market may be named after the way in which The bull attacks by thrusting its horns up into the air. Bear markets versus corrections. A bear market should not be confused with a correction, which is a short-term trend that has a duration of fewer than two months. While corrections offer a good time for value investors to find an entry point into stock markets, bear markets rarely provide suitable points of entry. This barrier is because it's almost impossible to determine a bear market's bottom. Trying to recoup losses can be an uphill battle unless investors are short sellers or use other strategies to make gains in falling markets. Between 1900 and 2018, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had approximately 33 bear markets, averaging one every three years. One of the most notable bear markets in recent history coincided with the global financial crisis occurring between October 2007 and March of 2009. During that time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average declined 54%. The global COVID-19 pandemic caused the most recent bear market in 2020 for the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones. The NASDAQ composite most recently entered a bear market in March of 2022 on fears surrounding the war in Ukraine, economic sanctions against Russia, and high inflation. Short-selling in bear markets. Investors can make gains in a bear market by short-selling. This technique involves selling borrowed shares and buying them back at lower prices. It is an extremely risky trade and can cause heavy losses if it it doesn't work out. A short-seller must borrow the shares from a broker before a short-sell order is placed. The short sellers profit and loss amount is the difference between the price where the shares were sold and the price where they were bought back referred to as covered, for example, an investor shorts, hundred shares of a stock at $94, the price falls and the shares are covered at $84. The investor pockets a profit of $10 times hundred or thousand dollars. If the stock trades higher unexpectedly, the investors are uh, forced to buy back the shares at a premium, causing heavy losses to the short seller. Puts and inverse exchange traded funds in bear markets. A put option gives the owner the freedom, but not the responsibility to sell a stock at a specific price on or before a certain date. Put options can be used to speculate on falling stock prices and hedge against falling prices to protect long only portfolios. Investors must have options, privileges in their accounts to make such trades outside of a bear market. Buying puts is generally safer than short selling. Inverse ETFs are designed to change values in the opposite direction of the index they track. For example, The inverse ETF for the S&P 500 would increase by 1% if the S&P 500 index decreased by 1%. There are many leveraged inverse ETFs that magnify the returns of the index they track by two and three times. Like options, inverse ETFs can be used to speculate to protect portfolios, or in other words, used as a hedge. Again, it takes a sophisticated, well-trained investor to understand how to do this. And it's recommended that you talk to an investment professional about that if that's something you're interested in. Real world examples of bear markets. The ballooning housing mortgage default crisis caught up with the stock market in October, 2007, also known as the great financial crisis. Back then, the S&P 500 had touched a high of 1,565. Can you believe that? It's trading at like more than double that or at this point, as the extent and ramifications of housing mortgage defaults on the overall economy became clear. The US major market indexes were again close to bear market territory on December 24, 2018, falling just shy of a 20% drawdown. Most recently, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went into a bear market on march 11 2020 and the s p 500 entered a bear market on march 12 2020 this followed the longest bull market on record for the index which started at the bottom which of 2009 which was in march stocks were driven down by the onset of the covid 19 pandemic which brought with it a mass lockdowns and fear of depressed consumer demand during this period, the Dow Jones fell sharply from all-time highs, um, close to 30,000 to lows below 19,000 a matter of weeks. From February 19th to March 23rd of 2020, the S&P declined 34%. Other examples include the aftermath of the bursting of the dot-com bubble in March of 2000, which wiped out approximately 49% of the S&P 500's value and lasted until October of 2002. And the Great Depression, which began with the stock market collapse of October 28th and 9th in 1929. So if you're looking for a better way to maximize your retirement income, while minimizing your investment taxes, Northbound Wealth Management and our team can help. We will work closely with you to build customized financial plans, investment strategies, and you'll also benefit from innovative service at low cost on an ongoing access to a financial professional. Please reach out to us at 317-399-1107. We'd be happy to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Until next week, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.